You're listening to the Warrior Priest Podcast. And this is the Warrior Priest Podcast, episode number 89. And I am the Warrior Priest, Donovan Riley. Welcome back to the show, everybody. Thank you for listening to the podcast today. Today we are back in Fight Club by Chuck Palahniuk, getting toward the end of this series on the book. Today we will jump ahead to chapter 22, but before we do that, just a shout out to everybody who supports the podcast, everybody who subscribes. You can subscribe to the podcast at thewarriorpriestpodcast.wordpress.com if you want to receive emails when new episode comes out. Otherwise, as always, the podcast is available on all major podcast platforms. Also, I was going to mention this previously and then it slipped my mind, but if you live in the Twin Cities metro area, especially the South Twin Cities metro area or South of the Twin Cities metro area, and you would like to gain access to fresh meat, both beef and pork, chicken, if you would like to purchase fresh eggs, honey, both cows and goat's milk, you can uh, DM me through Instagram. Otherwise, email me through the WordPress site and I will do what I can to hook you up with folks in my area that I do business with and um, basically give you that opportunity if that's something that you would like to pursue. Otherwise, uh, as always, if you have suggestions for the show, things, something you'd like me to read or meditate upon, or you think would benefit myself and the listeners, go ahead and shoot me a DM on Instagram as well, or send me an email through um, Anchor FM, through the Warrior Priest podcast at Anchor FM. So that being said, then, let's dive into Chapter 22 of Fight Club by Chuck Palahniuk. All night long, your thoughts are on the air. Am I sleeping? Have I slept at all? This is the insomnia. Try to relax a little more with every breath out, but your heart is still racing and your thoughts tornado in your head. Nothing works. Not guided meditation. You are in Ireland. Not counting sheep. You count up the days, hours, minutes, since you can remember falling asleep. Your doctor laughed. Nobody ever died from lack of sleep. The old bruised fruit way your face looks, you'd think you were dead. After three o'clock in the morning in a motel bed in Seattle, it's too late for you to find a cancer support group. Too late to find some little blue amatol sodium capsules or lipstick red secondals. The whole Valley of the Dolls play set. After three in the morning, you can't get into a fight club. You've got to find Tyler. You've got to get some sleep. And then you are awake, and Tyler standing in the dark next to the bed you wake up. The moment you were falling asleep, Tyler was standing there saying, wake up, wake up. We solved the problem with the police here in Seattle. Wake up. The police commissioner wanted a crackdown on what he called gang type activity and after hours boxing clubs. But not to worry, Tyler says. Mr. Police Commissioner shouldn't be a problem, Tyler says. We have him by the balls now. I ask if Tyler's been following me. Funny, Tyler says, I wanted to ask you the same thing. You talked about me to other people, you little shit. You broke your promise. Tyler was wondering when I'd figured him out. 
Every time you fall asleep, Tyler says, I run off and do something wild, something crazy, something completely out of my mind. Tyler kneels down next to the bed and whispers, Last Thursday, you fell asleep, and I took a plane to Seattle for a little fight club look at see to check the turnaway numbers, that sort of thing. Look for a new talent. We have Project Mayhem in Seattle, too. Tyler's fingertip traces the swelling along my eyebrows. We have Project Mayhem in Los Angeles and Detroit. A big Project Mayhem going on in Washington, D.C. and in New York. We have Project Mayhem in Chicago like you would not believe. Tyler says, I can't believe you broke your promise. The first rule is you don't talk about Fight Club. He was in Seattle last week when a bartender in a neck brace told him that the police were going to crack down on fight clubs. The police commissioner himself wanted it special. What it is, Tyler says, is we have police who come to fight at fight club and really like it. We have newspaper reporters and law clerks and lawyers, and we know everything before it's going to happen. We were going to be shut down, at least in Seattle, Tyler says. I ask, what did Tyler do about it? What did we do about it, Tyler says? We called an assault committee meeting. There isn't a me and you anymore, Tyler says, and he pinches the end of my nose. I think you figured that out. We both use the same body, but at different times. We called a special homework assignment, Tyler says. We said, bring me the steaming testicles of his esteemed honor, Seattle Police Commissioner, whoever. I'm not dreaming. Yes, Tyler says, you are. We put together a team of 14 space monkeys, and five of these space monkeys were police. And we were every person in the park where his honor walks his dog tonight. Don't worry, Tyler says, the dog is all right. The whole attack took three minutes less than our best run-through. We'd projected 12 minutes. Our best run-through was nine minutes. We have five space monkeys hold him down. Tyler's telling me this, but somehow I I already know it. Three space monkeys were on lookout. One space monkey did the ether. One space monkey tugged down his esteemed sweatpants. The dog is a spaniel, and it's just barking and barking. Barking and barking. Barking and barking. One space monkey wrapped the rubber band three times until it was tight around the top of his esteemed sack. One monkey's between his legs with the knife, Tyler whispers, with his punched-out face by my ear. And I'm whispering in his most esteemed police commissioner's ear that he better stop the fight club crackdown, or we'll tell the world that his esteemed honor does not have any balls. Tyler whispers, How far do you think you'll get your honor? The rubber band is cutting off any feeling down there. How far do you think you'll get in politics if the voters know you have no nuts? By now, his honor has lost all feeling. Man, his nuts are ice cold. If even one fight club has to close, we'll send his nuts east and west. One goes to the New York Times. One goes to the Los Angeles Times. One to each. Sort of press release style. 
The space monkey took the ether rag off his mouth. And the commissioner said, Don't. And Tyler said, We have nothing to lose except Fight Club. The commissioner, he had everything. All we were left was the shit and the trash of the world. Tyler nodded to the space monkey with the knife between the commissioner's legs. Tyler asked, Imagine the rest of your life with your bag flapping empty. The commissioner said, No. Don't. Stop. Please. Oh, God, help. Help me, me, help. No. Me, God, me, stop. Them. And the space monkey slips the knife in and only cuts off the rubber band. Six minutes total, and we were done. Remember this, Tyler said. The people that you are trying to step on, we are everyone you depend on. We are the people who do your laundry and cook your food and serve your dinner. We make your bed. We guard you while you are asleep. We drive the ambulances. We direct your call. We are cooks and taxi drivers, and we know everything about you. We process your insurance claims and credit card charges. We control every part of your life. We are the middle children of history raised by television to believe that someday we'll be millionaires and movie stars and rock stars, but we won't. And we're just learning this fact, Tyler said. So don't fuck with us. The space monkey had to press the ether down hard on the commissioner's sobbing and put him all the way out. Another team dressed him and took him and his dog home. After that, the secret was up to him to keep. And no, we didn't expect any more Fight Club crackdown. His esteemed honor went home scared, but intact. So at the very outset then of this chapter, the first four pages, five pages actually, we continue forward with what we ended with in the last episode on Fight Club, where Tyler told everyone to get a gun, and that yes, they would have to kill somebody. That we've gone from Fight Club as a violent support gr uh, group for emasculated men to Project Mayhem, which then escalated their activities from simple mayhem, little anarchy here and there, little chaos causing, to burning buildings, starting fights, attacking people. But yet on the flip side, while all this is happening, more and more people are starting fight clubs, joining fight clubs, finding a sense of purpose and meaning, a sense of identity and belonging in the fight clubs. And the fight clubs now have spread and franchised across the country and around the globe. It's all happening. So as Tyler says, all of the people that these ruling elites take for granted, that they treat them like Lazarus laying there with the dogs licking his wounds as the rich man steps over his body to go about his day's business. That we are the middle children of history. We are the ones who do everything for you, whom you ignore and treat as subhuman. What is truly unfortunate in the present tense then is that this group of people has turned against themselves. They are warring, fighting, attacking, and vilifying each other because they are being manipulated by the ruling elites. 
the politicians, the social influencers, the celebrities and professional athletes who are mouthpieces for the pharmaceutical companies, the CCP, these multinational corporations that pay them to say whatever they want them to say. Somehow, we have become so dumbed down, so willfully blind to the truth about how we are viewed by those who are the ruling elites, the social influencers, those who turn the knobs of society, industry, commerce. If they want to, they can turn off the pipelines so that there is no gas at the pump. If they want to, they can choke the supply chain, so there's not enough food on the shelves in the grocery stores. If they want to, they can drive up inflation to the extent that the dollar is worth next to nothing. They can offer us free donuts and beer and french fries so that we will volunteer to be lab rats in their experiments. Not just pharmaceutical experiments, but social experiments in race-baiting, fear-mongering, hate-mongering. We have turned against each other because we are behaving like dumb children. But that's an insult to dumb children because even children try to figure out how to get along and play together with each other. We have allowed ourselves to be manipulated by these ruling elites who view us as less than human, as disposable, by the way, which is why, according to the Great Reset, they wanted to reduce the world's population by 95% by 2030. Where do you think that 95% is going to come from? It's going to come from all of those in societies that are consumer-driven, societies where you have no inherent value apart from your ability to produce. What do you make? What do you produce that will help us meet our bottom line, reach our quarterly reports so that we can go in front of the board of directors and say, we made a profit again this quarter? What's going to pad my retirement? If you can't contribute to society by enriching the heads of these corporations, then you are worthless, which is why 42 million babies are aborted every year. And that's just the ones that are reported. That's why the past year, We've watched governments justify euthanasia and not just euthanasia, but eugenics because you have countries like Great Britain, Ireland, Iceland, and others whose governments, ministries, departments of health signed off on not treating, not resuscitating those with mental handicaps or physical handicaps. And then after that, just look into the Gates Foundation and look how many tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of people they've killed through vaccinations and birth control measures in Africa, in India, and in other parts of the world. The 95% that the Great Reset has targeted for extermination are all of those in third, fourth, and fifth world countries that are seen to be a burden on society, on the world. This has nothing to do with climate change. That's just the cover. That's just the excuse just like COVID was the excuse to engage in these social engineering tests 
to see what they could get away with and what we would comply with and whether or not we would go along with their orders. The past year and a half now, these elites, the movers and the shakers of these societies, the globalists, they have been engaged in a test, a social experiment. Can we convince people to participate in their own self-destruction, self-suicide? And the answer has been a resounding worldwide yes. So first we reduce the population in third, fourth, and fifth world countries to the bare minimum, just enough people to continue to work for us, to work in our factories, to produce our smartphones, our lingerie, our tennis shoes, our TVs. And then after that, we'll euthanize all of the elderly. We'll abort all of the unneeded, unnecessary babies. We'll kill off all of people with Down syndrome and other mental handicaps. Anybody with a physical handicap that can't work in a factory or type a you know, sit at a computer screen in a cubicle, we'll get rid of them. And we'll just keep working our way down the food chain until we've reached our goal of 95%. That is what's happening. But it's not new. Study history. Study how elites treat people going all the way back to feudalism. Don't even go back more than five or 600 years. The peasant class or the plebeians in ancient Rome, if you want to go and, and go even further back, we are disposable. We've always been disposable to the cultural elites, to the ruling class, to the aristocracy, to the, the, even the bourgeoisie, as the French called them. We are disposable. We are less than human. We are the middle child of history. We are the ignored child. So long as we mow their lawns, process their checks, drive them to where they want to go, prepare their meals the way that they like, we are allowed to go about our lives and to participate in society to the extent that they allow us through laws, mandates, the threat of force and violence, imprisonment. We don't have rights. I covered this in the previous podcast. We have privileges. And those privileges, as we've seen the past year, can be taken away at any time. And unfortunately, the very group of people that make up the majority of the population in the United States, for example, and in every country on earth, rather than rise up together and to announce in an almost Tyler Durden fashion that we will not be fucked with anymore, instead of doing that, we allowed these cultural elites and the ruling class to turn us against each other, to attack each other because of the number of pronouns in our Instagram account profile, to attack, to hurt, to kill each other because of the color of our skin, to segregate us right down the middle of those who are vaccinated and unvaccinated. We have been manipulated we have been targeted. We have been forced to comply and propagandized and indoctrinated and brainwashed all the way, step by step, so that we never wake up to the fact that the people that we are vilifying are actually our friends, our neighbors, and our allies. People that are just like us in every way. They just happen to be male or female. They just happen to be a different skin color or come from a different place or worship a different God. 
Maybe they eat a different diet. Maybe they have a different exercise routine. Maybe they're in a different tax bracket. Not that radically, though. (laughs) Although it is getting more and more common to find people that make far more money than I do who are still considered working poor. We are the middle children of history. We were raised on television. I was raised on Saturday morning cartoons. I was raised on after-school cartoons. Raised on educational TV on PBS. I was raised on rock and roll. I wanted, I was in rock bands when I was young. I wanted to be a rock star. I played in rock bands. I played in jazz bands. I toured. I did it all. I lived like a rock star. Unfortunately, it didn't agree with me. (laughs) I almost died. And developed a really great addiction to opiates. But then eventually I got clean and sober and I woke up to the fact that I had been lied to, that I had been manipulated, that I had allowed myself to be indoctrinated and led into self-destruction. But so long as I was showing up for work, so long as I was making money for my boss at the restaurant, so long as their family was happy and they were able to go to their Jamaican restaurant four or five, six times a year, which was a tax shelter and a money laundering operation if I've ever seen one. (laughs) It's a local restaurant chain. And then they have one other restaurant outside the Twin Cities metro area in Jamaica. (laughs) Yeah, that seems totally legit, doesn't it? (laughs) But as long as I showed up, as long as there was no disasters in the kitchen and there were no disgruntled customers leaving angry because I didn't do my job, As long as I didn't hurt the bottom line, I was a valued member of the company. I was promoted constantly. I was given raises all the time. I was a trusted member of the management team at the restaurant, even though I was strung out on alcohol and drugs 24-7, even though I was stealing money from the business hand over fist and then blaming other people for my crime. It didn't matter so long as the boss was happy. And if the boss was happy, I was given the benefit of the doubt. It was all about the bottom line. It was all about income. And since I was a happy drunk and I wanted everybody else to be happy and have a good time, most of the people that worked for me, a majority of the people that worked for me, loved me as their manager. The customers loved me because I wanted them to be happy because I knew the rules of the game. Keep the customer happy. Keep the staff happy. That means that the boss will be happy. And if the boss is happy, that means I get to be happy. And I get to be drunk at work. And I get to get high in the freezer at work with the cooking staff. And I get to steal out of the till. And people will look the other way because they're stealing too. We woke up to the fact when we were young, many of us, that we've been lied to. And we were angry about it. And so we lived a kind of anarchistic, anti-institution, anti-government fuck you to the man kind of mentality. And I think for myself anyways, what has taken place over the years since then is the one I got clean and sober, like I said, but then I started to figure it out for myself and educate myself and seek out the counsel and the wisdom of others who had been through it themselves and had the experience similar to mine and ask, so how do I function? How do I get along in this society that I'm not too keen on? I'm not too happy with the consequences of my upbringing and how I'm being kind of 
custom tailored to be a drone, to be a part of the herd? How do I not get along and go along, but how do I function within a society that, like I said, seems custom tailored to use me up, throw me into an empty grave, shovel some dirt onto my face and replace me with somebody else? How do I, you know, make a living? How do I live? How do I have a home and a house? How do I have a relationship with someone? How do I raise children, God willing, in a society that seems, well, entirely bent toward keeping me oppressed and keeping me a wage slave and keeping me dumb and ignorant and fat and lazy and and compliant? And what I learned and continue to learn is that I must be constantly focused on the goal, whether it be to have a home, whether it be to move through society without complying and and becoming a part of the common herd, becoming a part of that slave morality, raising my children to be independent thinkers, to be self-sufficient, to be children of God, to have a positive relationship to their body, to understand their relationship to society and the ruling elites and the cultural influencers. You need to, and I think of the words of Jesus in the New Testament in the Gospel, Jesus says to his own disciples, you must be as innocent as doves, but wise as serpents, because I send you out as sheep amongst wolves. So we are not just sent out, for example, in this instance, by Jesus to be devoured and slaughtered by the satanic, by the demonic, by the greedy, by the self-centered in our society. We are to be wise, but yet appear innocent. So be wise like a serpent, but appear to be as innocent as doves, and recognize that you are sent out as sheep amongst wolves. But also recognize that in that, I am the Lion of Judah, and therefore I will make you into lions, so that when people hear you coming, they're going to say to themselves, here comes a lion. But then when they see you, they're going to say, well, there's a lamb, a lamb of God. And so Christians, anyways, we live in this constant tension that we are sheep of our shepherd Jesus, the Christ, the Savior, but simultaneously in the world we are called to be lions, to be wise as serpents, but innocent as doves, and to live in this constant tension, this dichotomy between these two seemingly paradoxical images, to be a sheep and a lion, to be a dove and a serpent. And I think that's what so many people, even Christians, especially Christians, get so terribly wrong about the Christian faith is that Christians are not called to be doormats. We're not called to be wallflowers. We're not called to be passive-aggressive, just sit there and take it and say, well, it's God's will. We are called to live in this dichotomy, this paradox, to be innocent like doves but wise as serpents, to be sheep in relation to our shepherd Jesus, but to be lions in relation to the world, to our neighbors, and to always live in that tension. And it is difficult, and it requires strength, and it requires patience, requires a lot of hope. That's the nature of faith. But in order to do that, as Christians then, we lean into our God. We lean into our Heavenly Father. We lean into Jesus, the Lion of Judah, our shepherd, our good shepherd. We lean into that and we draw strength from that rather than drawing strength from politicians, social influencers, athletes, celebrities, whoever it might be. Because if we don't, 
if we don't figure out that these people are not gods, they're not demigods, they're not even superhero heroic. They're just normal men and women. And they will die, and they'll die with the most toys and the most money in their pocket, but they'll still be dead. And then someone will come along and take over for them too. So what are we going to do in the present tense? What are we going to do recognizing that we are on our own? That those who claim to represent us don't. That those who claim to be there to entertain us, to take our minds off the troubles and cares of our lives, are mouthpieces, uh, they're a part of the propaganda machine for the ruling elites, the globalists. What do we do? Well, we must be wise and innocent. We must travel and interface and engage with our neighbors, with our co-workers, with our peers and teammates. We must go into the stores and interface with these people who we know are opposed to us, who lionize us, who vilify us and demonize us because we refuse to walk in lockstep with them. We refuse to bend a knee and comply to leaders that we recognize. These are satanic individuals. These are demonic individuals. These are people with a morally evil agenda. And they don't care how many of us they kill to, uh, you know, to meet their quotas for the number of vaccinations. Which, by the way, if you haven't figured it out yet, there's a lot of governors that are getting kickbacks from the pharmaceutical companies for meeting a certain quota for vaccinations in their state. Which is why... As of May 14th, 2021, the governor of Ohio is offering a million dollars to various people who get in this lottery of vaccinations, which by the way, that million dollars or the several million dollars, that's taxpayer dollars. Who rises up? Who rebels against that governor? Who marches on the Capitol and says, listen, you don't get to use our money to bribe people to be a part of your social experiment. You don't get to use our hard-earned money to turn other people into guinea pigs. Why don't we rise up against that? Why don't we fight back against that? Why don't we tear them down and replace them with people who actually represent us? Why do we continue to participate in a system that we know is rigged, that we know our vote doesn't actually count? Between gerrymandering and ballot harvesting, between Dominion deleting voting records, and databases in Arizona, for example, in Maricopa County and other places. We know the game is rigged. We know. The jig is up. The information is out. We know that Anthony Fauci not only was funded, but funded the lab in Wuhan, which I said a year ago he was doing, because we've known this for years. He was exposed before, I think it was the Senate or the Congress this past week. Not only does he... Does he send money to the lab, but he was exposed as coordinating with the CCP, with the Chinese Communist Party, to engage in a campaign of propaganda in the West with the express purpose of destroying the economy, destroying the society, enslaving the population. This all came out, and no one is outraged. Well, very few people are outraged. Very few people are motivated to rise up. Very few people are angry enough to demand change. Instead, they just shrug their shoulders and go on with their life. And in a way, they're right, because nothing's ever going to change. Because Anthony Fauci has been doing this since the 80s. But because we are the United States of amnesia, because we don't study history, because we allow ourselves to be indoctrinated and brainwashed by the public schooling system, 
by the mainstream corporate media, by politicians, celebrities, professional athletes, and social influencers, because we actually think Bill Gates has a leg to stand on morally and ethically, we march along in step. They call the tune, we dance. They set the beat, we march. They say jump, we say how high. We behave like abused children. As if we've got Stockholm Syndrome. And it is not inspiring to me to see what is happening within society as our civilization continues to crumble. This is why I said at the beginning of the show, if you live in the Twin Cities metro area, the south Twin Cities metro area, or south of the Twin Cities, get a hold of me if you want to get in contact with folks that can get you fresh beef and pork and chicken, fresh eggs, fresh honey, fresh cow and goat milk, fresh cheese, soap. Because if we don't join together and create our own communities, recreate new cultures locally, where we take care of each other, depend upon each other, we're going to die. And I'm not being hyperbolic. I'm being dead serious. They've already started to kill us off. Like I said, they murder babies, both in and out of the womb. They've been murdering our elderly for the past year. They're murdering the mentally handicapped. They want to kill off a majority of the third, fourth, and fifth world because they reproduce too quickly. They're not coming to save us. They're not doing God's work. They hate us. They resent us. They don't consider us fully human. And therefore, they dehumanize us. And so far as we participate in their game, we dehumanize each other and ourselves. Which is why so many people are more than happy to go along being used as guinea pigs by the pharmaceutical industry. Because they have no positive relationship to their body. They are mentally sick in mind and body and soul because they have poisoned themselves for decades with the poison that they put in their mouths, their ears, and their eyes. If we don't take care of each other, if we don't figure out how to create new communities where we are kind and charitable to one another, where we struggle together to raise our families, to join together in houses of faith to worship our God, if we don't stand collectively, locally, and say no to all of the bullshit, to all of the games, to the race-baiting and the hate-mongering and the fear-mongering and the threats, if we don't join together locally and we don't figure this out, like I said, we're dead. We really are because no one's coming to save us. All of the institutions that we used to trust Turns out in the past year, they were all exposed as being untrustworthy and that they're all about that bottom line. And that's truly unfortunate because I now know two men who work at a hardware store locally. Both were in law enforcement up until this past year. Both resigned because, as they said, every morning when I got up and put on the uniform, I said goodbye to my family. Not goodbye, I'll see you later, but goodbye because by the end of the watch, I might be dead. In fact, 
I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm going to be dead by the end of watch today. Imagine waking up every day, putting on your uniform to go to work, whatever your job is, and saying goodbye to your family. Not, I'll see you at lunch. Not, I'll see you at three or five or six o'clock tonight. But goodbye, as in, I'll see you at the resurrection, because today I'm probably going to die. Why? Just by virtue of the uniform that I wear. Just by virtue of what I represent and what I am cast as by the corporate media, by these hate mongers, by these fear mongers, by these politicians, by the way, who want to get rid of law enforcement so that they can create a new form of law enforcement, a federalized law enforcement agency that answers only to the federal government. And if you want to know how that works out historically, go read about the history of China, Russia, Germany, Venezuela, North Korea, Vietnam. I can go on and on and on. We never learn because we lack the curiosity to ask the question, what the hell happened? Why is this happening to us? Where does this come from? How did this originate? Who is it that put forth this plan? What's the end game here? What do they stand to gain from this? What do we stand to gain? What do we stand to lose from this? How can we circumvent this? How can we subvert this? How can we thrive in the midst of tragedy? How can we remain free and at liberty in the midst of an authoritarian takeover of our government, both federally and at the state level, and some people even at the local level? If we don't join together, if we don't recognize that we are the middle children of history, and that we are on our own, and that the ruling elite have never cared about us, they do not have our best interests in mind, they could care less if we live or if we die. If we don't figure this out, and then take steps to do something about it, then we can't really be angry at them, because it was our choice to allow them to annihilate us. So let's not do that. Let's get together. Let's build up our congregation locally. Let's build up our community and start a new culture, a new community locally. Let's support each other. Let's work to hook each other up with others so that this family has a farm. They want to sell their milk, their cheese, their soap, their honey. Let's do this. This, uh, this other group over here, these people over here, they've got their own business. They cut hair. They're beauticians. Let's hook them up so that you can get a haircut. This group over here, massage therapist. Let's hook somebody up over there so they can, you know, engage in their vocation and make a living for their family in doing this. But let's do it one-to-one and cut out all the other hands that are taking money out of our pockets for no good reason other than they sit behind a desk and they've been given authority to charge us a tax or a fee or require us to have this or that permit to build a deck on the back of our house. Let's figure out how we can take care of each other. Let's figure out how we can support each other and yet get along within the context of the society in which we live so that we can act subversively. We can carry on with life. Sometimes, like in Canada now, in secret. Churches and Christians that I know are meeting in secret in Canada because the pastors are arrested and jailed for 35 days on charges that come with no actual penalty. 
but they're put in jail, in solitary confinement. Why? To make an example of them to others. But I can tell you something from the history of the Christian church's perspective, as a church historian myself, persecuting the church just makes it grow. As my professor liked to say, the gospel thrives in crisis. So the more that Satan afflicts the church, the stronger the gospel resounds throughout the world. And the more people who are struggling and oppressed and afflicted will hear the call of their shepherd and come running. Because that's the weird thing about affliction and crisis, is it exposes all the false shepherds. It exposes all the false prophets and preachers, all the false painted saints, all the false leaders. It exposes everything. It exposes everyone. And what you do then with what you see, you either turn away from it and renounce it and say, well, that's not God. These aren't my saviors. Or you bend the knee and you worship the new God and you accept the new savior. So every time we do these little homework assignment, Tyler says, these fight club men with nothing to lose are a little more invested in Project Mayhem. Tyler kneeling next to my bed says, close your eyes and give me your hand. I close my eyes and Taylor, Tyler takes my hand. I feel Tyler's lips against the scar of his kiss. I said that if you talked about me behind my back, you'd never see me again, Tyler said. We are not two separate men. Long story short, when you are awake, you have the control. And you can call yourself anything you want, but the second you fall asleep, I take over and you become Tyler Durden. But we fought, I say, the night we invented Fight Club. You weren't really fighting me, Tyler says. You said so yourself. You were fighting everything you hate in your life. But I can see you. You're asleep. But you're renting a house. You held a job, two jobs. Tyler says, order your canceled checks from the bank. I rented the house in your name. I think you'll find the handwriting on the rent checks matches the notes that you've been typing for me. Tyler's been spending my money. It's no wonder I'm always overdrawn. And the jobs, well, why do you think you're so tired? Geez, it's not insomnia. As soon as you fall asleep, I take over and go to work or fight club or whatever. You're lucky I didn't get a job as a snake handler. I say, but what about Marla? Marla loves you. Marla loves you. Marla doesn't know the difference between you and me. You gave her a fake name the night you met. You never gave your real name at a support group. You're inauthentic shit. Since I saved her life, Marla thinks your name is Tyler Durden. So, now that I know about Tyler, will he just disappear? No, Tyler says, still holding my hand. I would not be here in the first place if you didn't want me. I'll still live my life while you're asleep. But if you fuck with me, if you chain yourself to the bed at night or take big doses of sleeping pills, then we will be enemies and I'll get you for it. Oh, this is bullshit. This is a dream. Tyler's a projection. He's a disassociative personality disorder, a psychogenetic fugue state. Tyler Durden is my hallucination. Fuck that shit, Tyler says. Maybe you're my schizophrenic hallucination. Well, I was here first. Tyler says, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, let's just see who's here last. This isn't real. This is a dream. And I'll wake up. Then wake up. 
And then the telephone is ringing and Tyler is gone. Sun is coming through the curtains. It's my 7 a.m. wake-up call. And when I pick up the receiver, the line is dead. And that is the end of chapter 22, where we learn that the narrator and Tyler are one and the same person. But now we know who Tyler is. Tyler is everything you hate in your life. You were fighting everything you hate in your life. Tyler is a manifestation of the narrator's silent scream, his existential crisis, his dark night of the soul that punches back at everything that he hates in life. That's who Tyler is. That's why he's so violent. That's why he started the Fight Club. That's why he started Project Mayhem. That's why they're doing what they're doing. All of these men who joined Fight Club, all these emasculated middle children of history, all these space monkeys, they join because Fight Club, the house on Paper Street, Project Mayhem, Tyler Durden, he is the living, breathing manifestation of that silent scream, that dark night of the soul, that existential crisis that they all are experiencing and have experienced. He is a fist thrust up into the air by all of these emasculated men who, it turns out, have been emasculated since childhood. They lost their way when they were still boys because they were raised to believe a lie and they were indoctrinated to see themselves according to that lie and to relate to the world under the umbrella of that lie. Why can't you hold down a relationship with a woman? Why do you lack self-esteem? Why do you second guess and doubt yourself? Why are you so insecure? Why are you afraid to do masculine or traditionally masculine things? Why do you apologize for yourself? Why are you afraid of other men? Why are you afraid of being intimate with other men? Why are you afraid of brotherhood and camaraderie? Why do you work at a job that makes you miserable? Why are you married to a woman that makes you miserable? Why do you live in that house if it makes you miserable? And Tyler Durden is that fist thrown up in the air, like at the end of The Breakfast Club when Bender walks across the football field. We will not be put down and oppressed anymore. We are taking our balls back. That's what they are crying out. That's what they're screaming at the world when they lit the building on fire, when they started fights with people that they were ordered to lose when they bought the guns, when they put the rubber band around the commissioner's testicles, when they peed in the soup, whatever it is that they did, they did it because they were punching their fist at the sky and saying, enough, jabasta, in the words of the Zapatistas, jabasta, it's enough, that's enough. They're fighting against everything that they hate in life. But they're doing it in such a way that they want to tear it all down. 
they want to burn it all down. As we talked about in the last episode, they want to blast themselves and all of the world free from history. They want to separate themselves from everyone that came before them that contributed to their current state. They want to destroy everyone and everything in the present tense that traps them in this constant state of perpetual pubescence where they're emasculated, unsure, insecure, told what to do and how to do it, told how to think, told how to speak, all of their lives laid out for them by others, and they're expected to comply. Just play your part. The script has been written. Here is your part in the script. Here's your role. Play your role. When I was 24, I tore up the script and moved to Mexico, lived there as a missionary, worked in an orphanage. Almost a year later, I came back and I wandered for a time, lost. And then in 1998, I tore up the script again and I got clean and sober. And every time somebody hands me a script and says, here, here's your role, at some point I've had to tear that script up and say, no more, jabasta. I'm going a different direction. And I may be lost for a time, but I'm free. And I'm not going to march in lockstep with your monkeys anymore. I'm not going to be one of your monkeys that you call the tune and I just dance so that you can make money off of me. The last year, same thing. Maybe it happened to you. You were essentially forced into a corner. You were forced to make a choice. A big one. Walk away from your family, your community, your society that commanded you to stay inside, stay locked down, stay afraid, wear the mask, comply with the mandates, give up your constitutional rights, ignore ADA violations and HIPAA violations, comply with society's march off the cliff, remain willfully blind to the truth, to the data, to the facts, to the research. And instead you said, no, I refuse to go along to get along. I refuse to comply. I refuse to play this sick, degenerate game that you're playing because it's costing lives. Nobody, nobody in the position of leadership is taking responsibility for all those who committed suicide, who overdosed on drugs, whose families were blown up in the last year, relationships that ended in divorce, acrimony, violence, all the children that are traumatized for the rest of their lives, the elderly that were allowed to die who were exposed to COVID early on, and all the elderly who were experimented on, who died since the vaccines have been rolled out. No one's going to take responsibility for their deaths. Because like I said, to the ruling elite, their deaths don't count. They are a decimal point on a spreadsheet. They are an axis on a graph. They were never a human being. They didn't have a name. They didn't have a life. They didn't have a family or friends. They didn't have hopes or dreams. They were just a statistic to these monsters. 
And as Jordan P. says, you can either go and hunt the dragon and confront him in his own lair, or he will come to your town and burn it to the ground and kill everyone else. You can try and hide from the dragon. You can try and ignore the dragon. You can pretend that he's not there under the mountain, sleeping, that he's not going to wake up. But he will. And when he does, he's going to come to your village because he's going to be hungry. So you can either hunt him, fight him and kill him in his lair, just like Beowulf does, or he can come and find you. Just like at the beginning of the epic poem of Beowulf. Those are really the two choices we have in front of us in the present. Fight or bend a knee and be devoured. We're either food for the monster or we are a part of the resistance. We are wise as serpent, innocent as dove. We are lions or we are monkeys. We are the monkeys who dance. We are the monkeys who make the money but get none of the benefits or rewards of that money, of our efforts, of our work. So if we don't stand up in faith, if we don't stand up in charity, if we don't stand up with the strength and the wisdom and the experience that we bring to the table for the sake of our family and friends, the strength to tear up the script and the hope that we don't need a script, we don't need to play our parts, we can all be free if we just accept that we're free that each one of us is an individual, body, soul, and mind, that we have our own thoughts, our own way of expressing ourselves, our own way of behaving. And when we get out of line, when we threaten the health and well-being of our family or our community, how about our family and our community have the integrity to stand up and the love to stand up and say, you're wandering in the wrong direction, you're going the wrong way. And it's going to have severe consequences for you personally, but for us as a community. We need to do that. I really do believe that because for the past year, what I've witnessed is a whole group of people parrot the words of the talking heads on TV thoughtlessly, dumbly, like robots. They're like zombies. And when I ask the question, so what's in the vaccine? They can't tell me. Well, what are the side effects? They can't tell me. How effective is the vaccine in immunizing you against COVID? They can't tell me. And yet they insist that I do it. When I ask, how effective is the mask in preventing the spread of COVID? They can't tell me. How effective is social distancing in preventing the spread of COVID? They can't tell me. Why aren't our children allowed to go back to school when they can't spread it? They can't tell me. Why do our children need to be vaccinated? They can't tell me. Other than whatever propaganda they heard on the TV last night. The years that are to come are not going to be easy for some of us. In fact, they're going to be downright harsh. And for those of us who have already been marginalized and ostracized, for those of us who have been vilified by our peers, by our colleagues, by our friends and family, it's already been tough but it's only going to get worse as bioapartheid takes over. Segregation is already in play. So we either are going to be strengthened by each other, together, or we are going to fall as individuals in isolation, in solitude. 
Together we're strong, but alone we are easily overcome. So let's get together. Let's connect with each other, however we do that. Let's build communities. Let's be leaders in our communities, leaders in our homes, and stand up and say, no, I will not allow my children to be vaccinated. And if that means I need to homeschool, we'll figure it out because my children are worth more to me than complying with these ridiculous, unfounded, unscientific claims being made by the teachers' union and the school board. In fact, take over the school board. If you don't like your school board, if you're upset with the teachers' union, if you're upset with the administration, take it over. Do something. Step up. Be a leader. Don't wait for somebody else to fix the problem. You be the fixer. You rally the troops. You take the lead. If you don't like the way things are going in your church, walk out. Go find another pastor. Go find another church. Form your own church if you have to. Meet in secret if you have to. But get the gospel. Get that good preaching that gives you strength, gives you hope, forgives, encourages, and strengthens you to keep going and trust that God's got this under control. Leave your job. Find another job. Go into business for yourself. Do whatever is necessary to survive and thrive. Do what is necessary for the well-being and the health of you and those that you love most. Do what is necessary. Sacrifice what is necessary to make a home, to make a new community and culture for yourself wherever you are at. And like I said, if you're anywhere near me, you are always welcome in my church. You are always welcome to plant in my garden as it continues to expand week by week at this point. I will connect you with people who can get you fresh food, fresh vegetables, fresh fruit. We run a food distribution out of my church now so that we can take care of all of those people who have been so horribly affected by the utter lunacy and mismanagement of this state by my governor and the local mayors. We're here for you. We're a community that's here for others. All the rebel souls, all the holy mischief makers, the holy troublemakers, we're here for you. You're not alone. You're not alone. There's a lot of us out there. And we're praying for each other. We're supporting each other. We're connecting with each other over social media or in person. But we're there. We just have to learn. We have to accept the fact that no one's going to come along and save us. No one's going to come along and lead us out of where we're at. We have to be the leaders. We have to create the culture and the community. We have to be the people that connect with other people locally to form a new society. Because our civilization is crumbling in front of our eyes. We all see it. We know what's happening. We just don't want to acknowledge it because it's painful. So in the midst of the disintegration and the degradation of our society, as civilization in the West especially continues to plummet and implode, now is the time for us to step up as leaders and create new communities, put together new infrastructures, founded and based upon love, kindness, forgiveness, strength, integrity, fortitude, courage, dignity, wisdom, 
all of the cardinal virtues, all those virtues the Stoics inculcated, all those things that Nietzsche warned us about, we can learn from them. We can learn from history, learn from the past. And as a consequence, we can thrive in the midst of conflict, in the midst of crisis, and even in the midst of affliction. But we've got to do it together by standing up, by punching our fist into the air and saying, Jabasta, it's enough. That's enough. We got this. We're going to do this for ourselves now. We're not going to wait for anybody else. We're not going to elect anybody else. We're going to do this ourselves. We're going to take over the teachers' unions. We're going to take over the school board. We're going to take over the administrations. We're going to take over the board of directors. We're going to take over the local businesses and the local communities. We're going to create a new society and a new community based on forgiveness and love, faith and hope, integrity and dignity, courage and wisdom. We're going to do that. We're going to exercise true justice. And it won't be discriminated against because of your gender or your skin color or any of those things. Because we're all human beings. We're all children of God. And we all have something to gain and everything to lose if we don't get together and figure this out for ourselves. So that's all I got today. I hope that encourages you. I really do. I hope it gives you a little bit of breathing space. You're not alone. You're not crazy. They're gaslighting you. And that you do have the strength. You can be a leader. No matter who you are, no matter what you think of yourself, you can be the leader. You can stand up. You can carve out something new in your local community, in your home even. Just plant a garden. Connect with local farmers and growers. Connect with local business owners. Start to create that community by just getting to know each other as people. Find out about their family. Find out about what they do and why they do it. Find out what their hopes and dreams are. Find out what their frustrations and their anxiety is. And walk with them. Come alongside of them. One by one. Week after week, month after month, year after the year. We can do this. We can create a new society. We can create new communities. We can strive towards that more perfect union that this whole country is founded upon. And one last thing. This country was formed by rebels. And every group of immigrants who came here rebelled against the place that they came from. So this whole country, our whole society in the United States, is founded on the premise of rebellion. And we've forgotten that because they taught it out of us. So be a rebel. But be a rebel for change that is positive, productive, and constructive. All right? Love you, weirdos. Talk to you soon. Peace.